podcast. My name is Zach Randall. I'm going to be your host. This is the State of Analytics podcast. And this is episode number one. So I'm super excited that you're here, that you're listening. Either you just stumbled upon this podcast and you just happened to be at episode one, or more likely you came across one of my future episodes and I prompted you, hey, go back and check out the first set of episodes. So it's going to be super important if you're a measurement professional, if you're a marketer, if you're a webmaster, if you're a user of web-based analytics data, for you to dig into this podcast. Okay, this podcast is going to be an exploration of the current state of analytics. And ultimately, the goal of this podcast is to kind of affect some change, right? I'm a digital marketer. I've been doing this for 10 years. I run a digital agency. And over that entire decade, there's been these consistent problems with how marketers collect and utilize web data. And I've just gotten to the point where I'm kind of like fed up with it. And I've, I've learned a lot and really like boiled down like all these little, these these pieces, these kind of fallacies or, or false beliefs that, that marketers are kind of fully bought into. And I think it's time that we start to change. And so this podcast is going to start to explore that. And I think a lot of the things that we're going to talk about, they're going to resonate with you. And even beyond that, I'm looking forward to after the first set of episodes here, uh, starting to bring on some guests, getting their opinions, some influences in the space. Perhaps you're watching this and you're like, Hey, I'd be a great guest on this, like reach out to us. Ultimately, like I said, our goal is to kind of affect change in the space. And as a foundational element of that, we're looking to build a community, a community that believes that web analytics data can be done better and that measurement can be done better, that we can empower marketers to build better products and bring better experiences to their customers while also, of course, respecting their privacy and consent laws and those things. And so these first few episodes, um, I'd encourage you to just like, you know, buckle up and get through the first 10 or 15 episodes because I'm going to lay out my ethos, right? Everything that I've seen in this space, I've boiled it down to these critical elements. And they may evolve over time as we have these discussions and I talk to the people in the space and like things, things change a little bit. But generally, I have a really good list of 11 false beliefs that I know they're going to resonate with you. Okay. And regardless of where you are in your organization or the type of organization, whether you're a B2B, you know, demand gen marketer, or whether you're a B2C e-commerce marketer, you've experienced these things. I guarantee it. In the back of your mind, you're kind of like, yeah, you've thought these things, right? And so I'm going to put words to those. And then I want you to bring those to your team internally, bring them to your CMO, bring them to your director of demand gen, bring them to your CRO team. Start asking these questions internally, like, why do we do things this way? Does this make sense? Can we actually rely on our data? So let's dive into it, okay? There's going to be 12 episodes at the beginning of this pod. And the first one is this introductory episode. I'm going to be walking you guys through just like this foundational understanding of like everything I believe in and what I'm putting out there into the world. And then the, the 11 following pods are going to be the individual false beliefs that marketers generally marketers and web people and measurement pros and analytics people have just like bought 
into like hook, line and sinker. And I'm going to dig into each of those. And what I'd recommend is go to listenlayer.com forward slash pod. And that's where you can kind of get the latest information about the episodes that are coming out and things like that. But you should be able to grab a, a download of the, this list if you want to. Um, we're not going to spam you like crazy, but you know, drop your drop your email into uh, into the form there if you want to you know, get notifications like when a new pod drops and things like that. Um, and of course, this pod will be on uh, all the major platforms as well as you know video versions on YouTube and things like that. So whatever platform you're looking for, look up State of Analytics. And you should find the podcast there and drop us an awesome review when you get into that. So here are the 11 false beliefs that marketers have bought hook, line, and sinker, and it's ruining web analytics. And I fight these things every single day as an agency owner. And I could tell you like from personal experience, like I love that feeling of landing a new client, right? Hey, we got a new job. We we have a new project to work on until I think about like having to go fix their data. And then I'm like, well, wait, I love data. That's like the thing that I do, right? But I, I'm always like not looking forward to that because I'm like, oh, like all the problem, all the, all the, you know, the dead bodies that I'm going to be pulling out of the closet here and like all these stones I got to turn over and man, it's just going to be a nightmare. Um, actually, that's why I created Listen Layer. If, if you're not familiar with it, you know, this, this pod is obviously kind of brought to you by, by that uh, tool and that platform. And we're building a community around there and the thing is taking off. Um, cause it solves so many problems. So there's my squeaky chair again. I have to throw some uh, grease in there. Okay. State of analytics. Here's the 11 false beliefs. The first one is the free fallacy. I, I don't even know how long officially Google analytics has existed. Don't get me wrong. We all have a love hate relationship with Google. I use Google every single day, but they have tainted everyone's understanding of the value of good data by just giving it away for free. And it's the first, it's the very first false belief that I'm outlining because it really is the cornerstone. Think of it this way. There's always this like pricing trick. You know, if you give something away to everybody for free, there is no perceived value, right? And the second you start to charge something for it, and quite often, sometimes the higher you charge for it, all of a sudden there's this perceived value. And when somebody has to give something to get something, all of a sudden they appreciate it. So what has having free data done to our industry over the last 10 to 15 years? I mean, it's devalued the entire idea of web analytics to the point where half the clients that come to me, at least half the clients that come to us and work with my organization, like Web analytics is such an afterthought, even though they're making all these like spending decisions based on it and attribution decisions and, you know, um, all these things that they're, you know, they're gaining insights from this. And yet it's like this, this afterthought, like, let's just throw Google analytics on the site and like, see what it says in a few months. And then like, you know, maybe we'll set up conversions. And then, and then the problem is nobody really, nobody really like valued it. So nobody actually took the time to like plan it and set it up correctly. And then because nobody took the time to plan it and set it up correctly, nobody can really trust the data because nobody really knows like where it comes from or what it is. Or maybe you just slapped Google Analytics on there. You don't really even care, right? And it's to this, it's gotten to this point where it's like our agency will go sell somebody on like some massive deal, like 10,000, 20,000 bucks a month and like, and like services. And we're like, Hey, like we have to fix your analytics and that's going to be like an extra thousand bucks 
And they're like, what? Huh? Like, isn't that just like, it's like this weird thing where you like, can't sell people analytics services because they're like, isn't that just like free? Don't you just like put Google tag manager on there? So I'm going to, I'm going to get into a whole like episode about this, the free fallacy. Right. And here's the deal. I'm not trying to like sell you something. I'm not trying to take your free thing away. I'm trying to get you to understand that like there actually is value in the stuff if you do it correctly. And the, and the more you shove it in like the free box, the more you literally get no value from it because it's just like the psychological thing. Okay. So, um, false belief number, false belief number two, I call this one, set it and forget it. And it kind of comes from that free fallacy. And it's this idea that like you just throw it up there and it just solves it. And here's the thing. This has been happening with Google Analytics forever. And um, there's, a, there's a false belief. It's, it's number eight. Uh, I won't get into it too deep yet, but it's starting to happen with Google Tag Manager now too, which just sucks because Google Tag Manager is like a cool tool. But the reality is that like, it doesn't solve all your problems. You don't just like throw it on your site and like, oh, like, and now anybody can have Google Tag Manager and they can just go like put their tags everywhere and it'll just all be great, you know? And and so GTM is going down this path that Google and Lex went down where it's like this free fallacy is like devaluing it and people are just thinking like, oh, you just like throw it up there and it works and and it's all good and just give people access. And and so it comes back to this this idea of like set it and forget it, right? There is no value. It's all free. Let me just throw it up there. I'm just going to just set it, forget it. Maybe I'll look at it later. And then, you know, every time I hire a new agency, they kind of like go in there and tell me something's wrong. And then I like, you know, I think the other agency that I was working with before must suck. And I mean, we all do it, right? We all do it to each other, but <laughs> it's because no one cares about the data. Honestly, it's like, should your agency like own your web analytics? Like probably not, right? It's a it's a whole other thing. It's not not it not in the false beliefs. Or or maybe you should have like a dedicated agency that's just like they're just my data agency because then I just trust that the, the stuff is being done and it's documented and it doesn't like change hands. And and that brings me to the, the third false belief. I call this one zero accountability. And this is where you go to an you go to an organization. And you're like, wait, so who owns your analytics? And they're like, I don't know. Like we have a data team. And then you talk to the data team and they're like, well, we just use the data. We don't know like where it comes from. So then you like. You keep turning over stones. They're like, oh yeah, Joe over in IT, like he set that up last year or he fixed it last year. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, the agency before him set that up. And it's like, oftentimes it gets thrown on the developer's plates and like developers hate it. Right. We've gotten that feedback actually at Listen Layer where they're like, you know, like I don't want to like write a bunch of custom code and put it in GTM and have it be all messy because that's what the previous developer did. And it took me forever to like figure out what was going on. Um, so just like randomly bringing your web developer and being like, Hey dude, like, can you go fix this? Or Hey gal, like go, go solve this problem for me. Like we just need this thing set up is not the right approach either. But this all comes from that, the free fallacy, right? It's like, well, it's just free. So like nobody needs to own it in our entire organization. So then we have all this data that's coming out of this that we're supposedly supposed to make decisions on and we're supposed to get insights from it and like no one owns it. Right. So let's, let's solve this problem. Okay. The next one is, uh, I call this cookie confusion. Okay. Cookie confusion. Oh my gosh. So uh, who knows when you're listening to this It is January 24th, 2022. And for the last two years, it's been raining cookie problems. I mean, like people are just like freaking out about cookies. Oh, cookies are going away. Like the whole world is going to crash. Cookies are going to away. 
I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Maybe cookies will go away, but let me just tell you right now, cookies are not going away. Like there's this big misunderstanding, like third party cookies are going away. Okay. Browser storage is not going away. Something has to persist. Some data and some piece of information has to persist in the browser for it to function. Fundamentally, it has to. Now, some browsers are limiting how long some of those things can can exist. But this whole idea that like, oh, we got to freak out because cookies are going away. Like what we're talking about is third-party cookies, like sites that are just tracking everything you do across all these other websites that, you know, you probably don't even want them to know you're visiting or, or whatever it is, like they're tracking you. Like, is that a, is that an invasion of privacy? Well, I always like to take this privacy concept, like to the real world. Like when you walk into like your local grocery store or your bodega or whatever it is, you go grab a sandwich somewhere. It's like, you know, you're kind of an anonymous person to them, but let's, let's say I walk into like uh Chipotle, right. And I order some, some food. And I, I like build my burrito. Like the business has every right to track the fact that I got, I just put chicken in my burrito or maybe I just did a veggie burrito or something like that, right? They use that data to make business decisions. <laughs> they need to. And as consumers, we need to understand that they need to do that. Now, do they have the right to like lock the door and say, yo, dude, like you can't leave until you give me your social security number? <laughs> no, they don't, okay? Do they have the right for me to like give my credit card to them and for them to take that and like trace all that back and be like, oh yeah, Zach Randall just bought this chicken burrito from us. It depends on what country you're in, right? There's debates about that, right? <laughs> Ultimately, I don't know what the right answer is here. I'm not, I'm not the regulator. I'm not the person who's going to tell you what the right answer is. I'm going to try to help you explore this issue of of this stuff. And there's actually another false belief that I'll talk about a little bit more at the end here where I talk a little bit more about PII. But the point is cookies are not going away. Okay. You as a marketer and you as an analytics professional can still use cookies. Okay. Cookies allow you to persist data, local storage, browser storage, which is you know, session storage and, um, and local storage. Uh, they allow you to persist data across pages and sessions. It's a critical component of how browsers have to operate. Because you're, you're essentially running this like application that like shuts down and everything can be like cleared and wiped clean from it, right? Um, like at Listen Layer, we, we rely fully on the data layer as like the central piece you should be like using for your tracking layer on your website, which is actually a sound thing. Like you should be doing that, but it doesn't persist. So if I need something to persist, like with Listen Layer, you can track sequences. Like, okay, I want to know if somebody does this and then this and then this. And if they do that, then I want to trigger an event. Well, you can't do that unless you you have some piece of data that persists across the board or across like page uh, page loads, container loads, those types of things. So they click a button and you can just store a value in local storage. You can use listen layer for that, right? You can just say like, hey, click this button. Let me give me like this custom value in local storage. I'm gonna save the fact that they click that button. And then if they click another button, I'm gonna like increment that value or I'm gonna put something else in some other value. And then at the end, like when they do the, the final thing, you, you, can, you can look at that final event and you could say, did they do these other two events? Well, you look at browser storage to do that. Or with listen layer, like you push it back into the data layer. So then you have this complete picture in the data layer of like, did they do everything I want? Yes. But going back to this idea of like, I just ordered, right? There's, there's no regulator coming into Chipotle and saying like, okay, he's building his burrito. If, if you're international, you don't know what Chipotle is. Um, I think they have stores internationally, but you, um, you go up to the counter and they have like 
the food on the other side of the glass, right? It's like all the ingredients you could, you could ever want to like build an amazing like burrito or burrito bowl. So you're like, yeah, I want like a tortilla and I want some rice in it and I want beans in it and I want some chicken in it and I want cheese and I want some hot sauce and whatever it is. Well, if you got rid of cookies completely, you would have to break every single like page view. You couldn't let any data persist. So it'd be like the regular coming in and telling Chipotle, like you can track how you can track what beans this guy got. But then the second he moves over and he decides to choose his protein and he decides that he wants like veggies, you have to like completely erase the fact that he got black beans. Like you can't know both of them together. Right. So I, it's kind of a weird, it's a, like a weird analogy, but the point is just like, stop freaking out about cookies, right? Unless your entire business relies on tracking people across other websites outside of your website, like stop freaking out. Okay. And actually you should probably just start learning how they work and like what you can use them for. And then look and see like how they evolve, right? How they evolve over time. Okay, cool. So the next, next false belief, and we're going to dig into each of these in detail in the next episodes. The next false belief is the afterthought. And it's kind of like the number two, which is the set it and forget it, right? But it's a little different. There's entire analytics platforms now that have popped up that are built on this idea of the afterthought. Like throw our tracking on there and then we'll track like every single change at the DOM level you could ever want. And then you can go into the platform six months later and you can like magically like create these like events and like things like that. And it's like cool. It's like a cool product, but I think it's like pushing it a little bit, right? You're buying into this idea, like you know, marketer, like you can't sit down and actually plan what data you want based on like how your organization works and what your goals are. No, I, I'm I'm just not going to buy into that as like a thing. Could could is it cool that a product allows you to like go back and like augment your data and like filter and do different things like that. Certainly. Yeah, that's cool. Should we be relying on that for like making future business decisions on and not be proactively planning and building like a measurement framework to develop that? No, absolutely not. So, um, that's a critical one. Okay. Number six, this one's a kicker. This is like my thing. I'm like going to get this tattoo on my neck or something like that. Right stop using thank you pages. Okay. Like seriously, I call this one the thank you page trap. It's like the most amateur hour thing you could be doing. And I'm sorry if I just offended you, but like, let's be real here. Tracking conversions on your website based on thank you pages is like something somebody came up with in 2000 and they, you know, nobody could just come up with something better from that point forward. I've only ever come across one thank you page implementation that was actually accurate. And it was because I built it myself. (laughs) You know, we work with a lot of clients that have like hundreds of forms, right? Because we do a lot of B2B tech and a lot of inbound marketing and those types of things. And when you have that many forms, not only do you have a lot of forms, but there's a lot of things changing all the time. You usually have like a mark ops team and there's people like putting out content and new forms on the website every day and new webinars being promoted and things like that. And the thank you page stuff just breaks, right? There's just too many hands in the pot. You're, you're relying on just like this URL and you're hoping that like all the forms redirect there and I hope that they do. And if they don't, I'll never know about it until I do like an audit or the best is when you go into a client site and you're like, why is there all these, like, why do I go to the, I filter your analytics to the thank you pages. And like, there's all these entrances on that. And then you go to Google and you do like a site call and search and you're like, yeah, your thank you page is indexed. And you know, maybe they're not all coming from there, but the point is like, if we're tracking form submissions or e-commerce purchases, like track the purchase event, not the actual like view of the thank you page. 
It's not the same thing. And, and not only that, but it, like you're, you're selling yourself short. When you focus on this like idea of just a thank you page, you lose the ability to like segment and enrich your data. And as a marketer, you just become fully dependent on this like thank you page concept. It's not the direction we need to be going in, right? So stop worrying about cookies and fix your thank you page tracking, meaning like get rid of it, right? The, the other thing, which I, I, I failed to mention, but like there are some times when thank you pages don't work, like those pop-up forms that people use on like HubSpot, it's like terrible experience to take somebody to a thank you page. And they're impossible to track otherwise, unless you use our product. But the thing in general is just like, thank you pages are just like, are they really a good experience? There are some situations where you might want to redirect somebody to a thank you page because they did something and now you want to show them something else, not because you want to track a conversion. Okay. So, um, so let's just like put that one to, to rest. Okay, cool. So the, the next one here is. I talked about this briefly, but it's, uh, I call this one GTM will save the day. Right. And I actually used to believe this one. I, uh, this is actually the, the origin story of listen layer. We had this like client, we, uh, we took on that was really big and we had a, like three months to prove the results. So we were like, you know, we had some time and we were working on stuff, but going into it, like I knew it was messy, right? They had a bunch of different websites. They had, they had HubSpot and Marketo. They had a chat tool. It was like messy. Um, hundreds of forms. And I just like went in there. I was like, I know their data is not working, but the client gave me GTM access. So I was like, sweet. Like I'll be able to, I'll be able to fix this one, <laughs> you know? And that was like the last time I ever said that before. It's like GTM will not save the day. Okay. If anything, GTM scares me because when given to the wrong people or put in the wrong hands, you literally just create a gigantic mess. And then we get these people that are like, you know, these other agencies that we work with that are like, oh, you have GTM access. Yeah. I'm like, and they're like, uh, can you put this script on the form button? And I'm like, huh? On the form button? Yeah, sure. We'll put the script on the form button. The, the point is just like GTM is like this big wild, wild west of like anybody can build a tag, a trigger and a variable. And nobody really knows how to do it correctly. Right. Unless you go, go take like one of Mercer's courses or something like that. And you <laughs> like really dig deep, which I'd recommend doing if you want to like dig into that stuff. But the point is that ultimately GTM does not save the day, right? And GTM is just another tool that needs to be used correctly. And if we as measurement professionals start to let GTM go the direction of Google analytics, where it's just like, oh, it's free. Like just put it on the site. It'll just solve the problems, set it and forget it. Like give it to Joe. He'll, he'll put some custom scripts in there. That's not going to end well. And I see it every day. We take on clients and like job number one is, well, we got to blow your GTM up and start over because it's just a nightmare and no one knows what's going on. <laughs> going back to that question of like, should your agency run your analytics? Like I said, I don't know, maybe a dedicated agency. Okay. So, so then that brings us to the, to the latest and greatest, right? This is what I call the server side superhero. Okay. It's the guy who comes in and he's like, well, let's just implement server side, you know? And it's like, okay, that's cool. But you can't even handle your stuff as is. And now you're talking about like implementing a server side container on top of that. <laughs> and then, and you change agencies every six to 12 months and they're going to rebuild your implementation every single time. And I'm just like, okay, Let's put the brakes on server-side until we get some of these other things figured out. Server-side's awesome and it's great, but unless your organization like owns your analytics, meaning like you have some ownership over it and you've put some, some real investment dollars into like making sure it's good, then 
Why are you considering server side? I'm not saying you can't outsource your analytics so that you shouldn't. It's more the mentality of like of ownership. Like who owns that? Who makes sure that it's actually correct and it doesn't need to be be kind of <laughs> overhauled. So um, this is an interesting one. This next one, I, I call this one the dashboard delusion. Okay. And this is less about the analytics and the collection of the data and more about the reporting. And I just, I couldn't help but like stick this one in here because it's just like a pet peeve of mine. It's like, oh, let's just go get Tableau or Power BI or you know, Data Studio or something like that. And like, and people start to like use that as their method of like analyzing their data. And I'm like, you're just looking at like KPIs or you're looking at like a week over week view for just the last two weeks. Like you can't explore the data. And so I just, I guess the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I see so many analytics and measurement professionals spending so much time relying on data studio. And I see it all the time when they do it and then they look at it and they're like, oh, it was broken or it wasn't importing the data correctly. Or I selected the wrong Google analytics view or something, something like that. It's like, the dashboard delusion is kind of uh, all these other problems like just exacerbated out in like the final output. There's a place for dashboards, right? But unless at the very beginning you had like a really good measurement framework and you like set things up correctly and then you know that it's actually working and then you have some controls around that and then you actually like plan your dashboards and those dashboards have like meaning to your business, then why are you doing, why are you doing that? You know, just like, explore the data a little bit more and stop worrying so much about your dashboards and spending so much time on those. Now, if you do want to build some cool dashboards, right? Like there's two things I would recommend. You always want to have a trending view, which I like to see is like a week over week over week over week, but it needs to go back like at least 16 weeks. And then it needs to be segmentable down by like all your critical segments. So like maybe that's like divisions in your business or business units or things like that, um, or campaigns or channels or or whatever those things are, initiatives. Um, but that's going to help you to just see kind of like week over week as you segment that down, you can see like, oh, there's a there's a change here. Like what caused that? Where did that actually originate in the data? And then the other one is a pacing dashboard. So a lot of times what's really important is understanding how you're pacing. But again, like you need to have like a 12-month view of pacing broken out by month. And then you probably need to be doing like year over year analysis too. So like you need to be able to see like, January, February, March, April, May, June, you know, all every single month. And then your critical KPIs. And then what, what was it last month? What was it the previous month? And depending on how seasonal your business is, that that's going to change. But then that needs to, you need to be able to see that across different data sets and segments, right? So like what are your, your KPIs, maybe your top of funnel data, your engagement data, those things. So that can be, you know, pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty robust dashboard there. And what I find is people are, sometimes they just take snapshots of KPIs um, and again, they look at it like week over week for the last two weeks. And I'm like, that's like, I don't know. That's like, that'd be like pulling up your retirement account and looking at the last two days and trying to guess like how rich you're going to be when you retire <laughs> or how poor you're going to be just like, let's, let's analyze our data. Well, um, so the dashboard delusion is one that I think is pretty critical to, especially to certain people that are like more users of the data. The next one here, ownership is overrated. So this goes back to the free fallacy. Your data is not free and you should own it. Like if you're the company generating the data from your website, like you should own the data. Now, I don't mean to rag on Google Analytics. I still recommend using Google Analytics. But if you're an organization of any size, like you should start to look at 
what kind of analytics tools can we get that we're actually going to like be able to own our data and just like click a button and it ends up in an S3 bucket or something like that. And we can just, you know, go run some queries on that. It really ties to that free, that free fallacy concept because Google analytics is not free because it's free, right? Google has like a computing costs. And if you were to go build your own analytics tool, you have computing costs that you need to, like the data itself is not free, nor is it free to collect it, nor is it free to generate it, right? You're spending advertising dollars. Okay. You're buying keywords or you're running ads on LinkedIn or Facebook or, or whatever that is. You're going to trade shows. You're generating traffic. That traffic is generating insights for your business. And instead of collecting that in such a way, you're like, wait, I, I invested $10,000 in ads. I expect to get at least insights worth $10,000 back that I can then use myself. You're like shoving it all into like this like free solution that's like not very valuable to you in your mind and um, and then you don't own it. And then you're like, oh, well, okay. Of course, yeah, there's there's other value that you get from that $10,000 that you spent on on advertising but why not own the data too? Like you're the one who generated it. So take those two things. I challenge you, like, is your organization doing that? Like, should you, should you be considering it? Long-term plans, we'll see where the lesson layer platform goes. But um, I do, uh, you know, in the past, we've dabbled with some like more custom analytics solutions and we're looking at potentially bolting those on to listen layer as more of a, like, Hey, like you can own your data. Like literally you can click a button and it's just in your S3 bucket as raw event data. And you can do whatever you want with it, or you can use the reporting tool. So that might be down the road or who knows, maybe it exists today by the time you're watching this. But, um, last one, this is number 11. And like I said, these could evolve, you know, there could be more, I, I could end up by the time we're done with these first, like 12 pod episodes, we could end up on 15, who knows? But this is the kicker. Okay, a lot of people out there might get like super mad at me about this one. If you're like one of these people who's like all up about the, you know, user consent and privacy. Let me just clarify. I respect user consent and I respect user privacy and I respect regional regulations. And I fully understand why they're there. But it just goes back to that same thing like the free fallacy. There's this like misconception out there that people are like, oh, I can't own PII. Like I can't, no, no, no. Like, and it comes from, from Google analytics, right? Google analytics was the first one who stamped the rule in stone and said like, nope, you can't store email addresses in here. Like you can't unanonymize our data. Of course you can just get the GAID and pull it out and merge it with your own data. And then you've unanonymized it. Now, what was their motivation? I can only speculate perhaps just because the tool is so open, they just couldn't have people just like willy-nilly putting stuff in there. And so they're just like, they drew the line, right? They probably didn't have ill will or ill intention, just like the free concept. They didn't have ill will. They just realized, hey, if we make this free, like we get to own the world's data <laughs> and and no one's going to question it. They're going to be like, well, well, someone owns that data. <laughs> yeah, Google owns that data. <laughs> but PII is not evil right? Again, it's your customer. Let's go back to this example of me walking into the restaurant and ordering my food. Like if whatever my regional regulations allow, if I give them my credit card and that allows them legally to like take my information and then figure out that like, Hey, Zach likes this kind of burrito. Let's send him a, a an email or something that's like, Hey, buy the perfect burrito. Then so be it. Right. I guess in, in your, your local jurisdiction, if you want to change that, go change it. There are other jurisdictions where it's like, no, you can't do that. You have to ask Zach explicitly at the counter. Hey, um, can I get your name and your number and your email? <laughs> and you know, I'm going to track your your burrito here, 
and I'm going to send you that data. Now, here's where I draw the line. I think it's not cool to like collect people's data and then go sell it. And that's the thing that it like makes me upset because it gives, gives us like all a bad, bad name, right? When people like, I, t- I tell people what I do and they're like, oh, you do web data. So you like sell people's data to other places. And I'm like, no, I've never sold anyone's data to anyone. Like <laughs> I, I help companies collect your data to make your experience better, like to do what's better for the end and customer. And so PII is not evil. Just learn to respect it within the confines and the requirements of whatever those regional regulations are. And I would actually say like in this, if, if measurement professionals come together and actually recognize what's really going on here when it comes to privacy and consent, like we could probably actually steer this in a better direction. And what I mean by that is I do think that in some of the regulations, like in the European Union and stuff, they've gone a little bit too far and it wasn't an intentional thing, but they've gone too far in that there's just too many gray areas in how the law can actually be like administered and implemented. And there's not enough leeway in giving businesses the ability to do the things that they need to with confidence and knowing that they're like doing it correctly. Again, I don't think it was like an intentional thing that somebody set out to do something bad. It's a very complicated space, but I think we need to recognize that like, Hey, like there is a need for this data. It does make the world a better place. We are able to help customers. We need to clean up our act. You know, us, I mean, like people in this industry who are doing bad things, selling data and those types of things like, yeah, they need to clean up their act. They need to be held accountable by people who want to actually have like integrity in the space and want to be able to build some trust around it so we can do our jobs, do what we, what we need to be doing for our customers and our clients and their customers. So just, you know, PII is, it's not evil, right? Just this idea that people think like, yep, I, all my data is free, you know, (laughs) just set it and forget it. No one at my company needs to be accountable for like owning this thing, right? Oh, cookies are, they're all, the sky is falling. Cookies are going away. We need to change our entire strategy or, you know, it's just a complete afterthought. Um, a thank you page trap, Google tag manager will save the day. Like all these things. I honestly think like the web analytics measurement world is like stuck in 2001 with with the exception of the consent stuff. Right. But like I said, the consent stuff has gone almost like so far that it's like, it's making people like a little bit loony like a little crazy <laughs> where you're like, okay, you're totally misunderstanding the cookie problem. You're totally misunderstanding the PII problem. Like, and here's the, here's the kicker. Uh, if anyone at Google is listening, I hope you don't have a, uh, too much of a <laughs> stake in this game. But again, I don't think there's like any one person at these big organizations, but you hear this like walled garden concept, right? These big organizations that just like hold so much data. And it's true. And it's just, isn't it ironic that like Apple's like the most privacy centric company in the world, supposedly, or like all of a sudden Google's like on this privacy bandwagon and well, you know, we're just going to replace like tracking people across websites with signals, you know, and things like that. It's like, well, why do you have signals? Because you have all the data already. So it's like whether these companies want to admit it or not, and whether they intentionally did this or not is beside the point. The point is that they have a competitive advantage because they already have all the data. They already have all their applications installed on everybody's phones, on their computers. They're already able to associate you to an email address or multiple email addresses. They don't need anyone's consent anymore. It's just built into their ecosystem. But what they need to do, 
And what just happens to be very convenient to them is keeping other people from having access to that data, right? Or starting to like, you know, put the damper on, making it harder for other organizations, scaring you into thinking like, I can't have PII. I can't own my analytics data. Then I have to deal with all these like regulations and, and do all this stuff. I'm just going to like put it into Google analytics and make it anonymous and not know what's going on. And then I'm respecting people's, people's privacy and those types of things. I just asked you to, you know, kind of think back to that example of like, is a restaurant required to like, never ask you like, Hey, how was your meal? Like get some feedback from you and, and ask you like, Hey, do you want to sign up for our, our loyalty program? Uh, so we can send you like a, a free burrito on your birthday or something. So I'm, I'm super excited about putting together this podcast. This content I think is going to resonate with a lot of people. And um, I hope you guys got a little bit of a taste of what we're going to talk about um, at least over the coming, you know, 12 or so pods. And then, you know, like I said, from there, I'm hoping to have some guests on the pod. I'm hoping to, dig into some of these like deeper topics with some really smart people. And I'm also looking forward to maybe doing some live events, taking on some, some questions from you guys, you know, whether those are like technical questions, obviously this is a podcast format. So, um, it might be hard to do like demos where we jump in and look at like, well, what is, you know, how do we parse out a stringified JSON value in a cookie, you know, or something like that, but there's a time and a place for that. Right. And so there's actually, you know, if you're listening to this, there's a video version of this. So you could find that, you know, some of the podcast platforms I think have video now, but, um, you could look it up on YouTube. You could look up Zach Randall, uh, listen layer. If you just search like Zach Randall, listen layer, you'll probably find me on, um, LinkedIn, you could probably see some posts there for me with the video versions. So yeah, dig that up. And, um, for the live events that we're going to have, you know, we'll try to, I don't know how often we're going to do this. The goal is, you know, maybe we'll eventually get to the, where we're doing like a live event every week or every two weeks. So you can kind of expect it, but most likely we'll be putting out like the actual topic and you'll be able to submit some questions and actually jump on, on and talk and like get some of your questions answered. So that's it for today. You've made it through pod number one of the state of analytics. I'm Zach Randall, your host from Listen Layer, and I'm looking forward to you catching up with you guys 